is Tap In Time, a Chapman Stick podcast. Whether you've played the instrument for years or are just curious, if it's stick talk you're looking for, this is the place. So come along and stay a while. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 20. I'm Victor, and this time, with the help of today's guest, Jean Claire Rodrigo and I are going to get back to our roots. Take it away, Jean. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, Tap and Time fans. Today is a special day, uh, a special day for us. Once upon a time, as you may or may not know, Tap and Time started uh, largely around a small group of us that enjoyed the music of Johann Sebastian Bach. Who's that? And you know, this has been going on almost two years now, and it's crazy, crazy to think that up until now, we have not had our special guest on yet, who is quickly becoming the authority in the Chapman Stick world on Johann Sebastian Bach. Joining us today is Greg Howard. Greg Howard is has many years of experience as a Chapman Stick player, as an instructor, as a teacher, and as a leader in our community. He's very close ties to the, the the Chapman family and Emmett and Stick Enterprises and the very the, the good work that they do there. And so, uh, Greg, uh, we're so glad you're here. Uh, welcome to Tap and Time. Thank you, Gene. Thank you so much. Um, I I don't know if I deserve that introduction. Uh, I'm on a journey into Bach, like all of you all are, and uh, I feel honored and privileged to be hanging out with folks who have spent so much time and enthusiasm on his music. Um, like I say, for me, it's just beginning. So uh, uh, I'm really, really thrilled to be here. Yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a there's a couple of topics that we're you and me are going to hit on, Greg Howard. <laughs> Bach will be one of them, but certainly let's. Uh, I Uh-oh. suppose we could we could we could start with that. Uh, I, I suppose maybe that's that's maybe a, a good question to start with. So why Bach on the stick? Well, um, first off, let me begin by saying the reason why uh, I wanted to bring this to you all is that I'm just about inches away from finishing my book on um, my approach to playing Bach on the stick, which is called uh, Tapping Into Bach. And uh, so it's, it's going to be coming I out soon. And I, thank you so much. Well, it, it kind of, it kind of fell from the heavens. Uh, so I, uh, <laughs> I, I can always accept that kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, I've been working on this book now for, you know, off and on in fits and starts really for about seven years. Uh, it started when I started recording. Um, I wanted to record a version of the Bourree in E minor. And then I wanted to write a little chart for it for people. Uh, so that they could learn how to play it. So I did that uh, back in, I think, 2014. And um, I remember Gene and you and I, you know, we had talked about like, how can we get stick players to play Bach? What is it that we want to do? And I think that we went through so many ideas of like, well, we could do a bunch of videos. Oh, we could do a bunch of online lessons. Oh, we could have a book. And like, I don't think we ever decided between the two of us how it should go. So I just started working on the book and figured, you know, uh, somebody had to do the work, Greg. Somebody had to do the work. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, you could you could plan all the somebody all day had to do and, the work. Uh, and uh, all the best best laid plans and all of that. But uh, you know, it's taken me a really long time to do this book, and I'm really glad that it has because mm. in the process of taking the time, I've learned so much more about how to play this music, how to teach this music. 
uh, and how to develop a strategy for how to play this music because none of it was written for the stick. And so we have to, uh, in my mind, have to think like, okay, what is it about this instrument and the way that it works that lends itself to this music so well? And how can we as potential players really identify uh, a, a core skill set that will help us in learning this music so we don't have to learn every piece from scratch every time we start to tackle a piece? So that's, that was my goal, and that's really been my journey uh, into this music. Um, that said, you know, there are people out there who are much better players of Bach than I am. Okay, I am not a virtuoso Bach player at all. You know, I would, I don't spend the time practicing. You kind of wrote day. the book though, man. So well, it's you know, not <laughs> done yet. And, 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 you, and you haven't, you haven't actually seen the book. You've only okay. seen okay. the cover okay. and Touché, one of the Greg charts Howard. from all the right, book. All right. All okay. right. So Greg just said something there that, you know, he just said, you know, we've seen the cover and he was gracious enough to email us a PDF of the cover <laughs> of the book. And, uh, I wasn't it on was it. Fine. Just saying, like, is a little disappointing, but it's oh, cool. It's cool. You're on the inside, Gene. You know, you're one of the one of the the great contributors. You know, I have I have so many editors of this book. It's That's unbelievable. True. You know, Claire has done massive amounts of work on this material. You've done work on it. Uh, a lot of my students have been guinea pigs. You know, like I send them charts. This is great. Like, so they pay me for lessons. And I send them a chart <laughs> and they try to learn how to play Great. the chart. <laughs> and it's like, okay, cool. I'll mention your name in the book. Great. You know, but that's been the proof. Like that's been how I've learned whether the charts actually work or not. So like you watch them play the piece during a lesson and then you can see what they're doing and you can say, oh, maybe I should do that differently or something. Is that what you're talking about? Well, yeah. Or just knowing that it works. Like if I have a student who I think, okay, that's, this person can handle this particular piece. So I'll send them the chart and say, okay, see what you can do with this. And then, you know, when I have a student actually play it better than I can play it, then I know I've done a really good job with the chart because, okay, I'm, I'm telling them exactly what to do here. Okay. And it's working. So that to me is a, is a success. And that, that's really uh, how this process has worked over the years and years and years of working on it. So can't believe it's almost done. Yeah. You know, um, something else I was going to ask is um, specifically about Johann Sebastian Bach and about just writing music for two hands. Like, I'm, I'm sure you'll touch on that in the book and in our conversations, but I mean, like, I understand, you know, why Bach on the stick, but, you know, what is it about his music in particular? And we've like elaborated on this, you know, both on and off the air, you know, about what it is, you know, on the Chapman stick in particular that, that makes Bach so ideal. So in your, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like this specific instrument, as opposed to the, the viola or the harpsichord, was it about the Chapman stick that resonates with Bach's music? Well, um, I think the word resonates is a really good one to use, uh, Gene, because uh, there's something about the sound of this music on the stick that really appeals to me. Uh, I've always believed that the stick is an instrument that sounds great. And that's why I started playing it in the first place. I didn't come to the stick because of the the two-part capability of it. I was already a keyboard player. So that, you know, that wasn't a selling point for me. The selling point for me was how it sounded 
I heard Tony play it and, and I was like, wow, what a great bass sound. And then I got my hands on one and it was like, oh, okay, it does more. And, and, and so I started, uh, I needed stuff to learn how to play uh, the instrument. So I had this, this book of very simplified piano arrangements for, of Bach pieces that I, that I was using when I was a kid to take organ lessons. I was like eight years old. And I remembered all the pieces and I was like, okay, I can, I can at least start by learning some of this music. And so I went back to my youth and got this book. I found it in my, my parents still had the organ, still had the, the bench that the book was in. And I got it out and I was like, okay, I remember my crazy German music teacher, you know, yelling at me for not practicing this music. I'm going to transcend <laughs> that now and I'm going to learn how to play this new instrument by learning how to play this old music that I w really loved. And I think your question is about like why this music works so well on the instrument. And I would say, and, and, and why to choose to play it on this instrument. And that is that uh, we get something that the original players of this music didn't have. So if you were playing a harpsichord, you don't have uh, dynamics. You can't, you can't put vibrato in a note. You can't bend a note. You can't slide a string, things like that. So part of my approach in the book was to say, uh, what would this music look like if it was written for the stick instead of being written for an instrument like the harpsichord? And so in that sense, it's like, it's a perfect vehicle because you don't have to focus on doing too many things at once. Most of the pieces you're playing one note in each hand at a time. So you can really focus on the lines and how they relate to each other. You can really hear the harmony, the amazing harmony that he's creating and moving through all the time. And even in the pieces that weren't written for the harpsichord, like the bourre or uh, the cello suite prelude or, um, you know, or uh, Yezu, Joy of Man's Desiring, which is another piece in the book. The, the adaptation of the piece to the stick is so complete. It's just very satisfying to be able to play it. And simple things sound really brilliant and beautiful on the stick, whereas on an instrument like the piano, they might just sound simple. So, so it's that level of expression and connectedness to the instrument that makes it sound to me like this music was destined to be played on the stick. Like it's the, it's the perfect vehicle for this music. That's a wonderful explanation of how the stick fits with box music. I need to step back um, into episode number five that we did that we, where we talked about Bach. It was interesting that Gene brought up the harpsichord. Couldn't just be friends. You couldn't just, there? couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, Here we go. Look at Rodrigo not, not shaking his head here. at okay, me. Shaking yeah, yeah, so, his so, so, head. What's your take on the harpsichord as an instrument? <laughs> a thumbs up or thumbs down? That was not on the list of questions, Victor. <laughs> well, of, of course I have to say thumbs up because without it, we wouldn't have this music. You know, Vindication it just wouldn't be there. It's mine. And, and you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's really funny. Okay, so funny little aside here in that when I went to buy my first stick. I was looking at keyboards also, like I didn't know I wanted to get a stick necessarily. So I went into this music store, uh, Chuck Levin's Washington Music Center, which is still in uh, Wheaton, Maryland, still like the mecca of music stores in the DC area. 
and I was looking at all the keyboards they had and they had like, you know, it was, this was back before touch sensitive polyphonic synthesizers were something that any mortal could afford, uh, 1985. And, uh, the guy, when I told the keyboard guy that I was also thinking about getting a stick, he says, well, you should just get two clavinets and you could do everything that you would do on the stick, you know, because the clavinet works the same way. You know, you, you hit the, the, you hit the, the key and it's actually fretting this rod inside the instrument. So the sound of the stick, you know, hit the string finger, hitting the string, hitting the fret, very similar idea. So he was very creative in his thinking. And, you know, I, I'm awful glad I didn't take him up on it. Hmm. Now, two clavinets would be kind of hard to carry around on your person, though, I imagine, um, maybe. Well, you know, we didn't delve into the subtleties of this transaction. I just I just knew that that wasn't what I was going to be doing. Although I got to say, two clavinets would be worth a pretty penny these days, you know, if they were in yeah. good functioning order. Uh, but they had a used stick, and so I got that, and uh, and uh, the guy basically hands it to me, and he hands me the book, and and he says... Knock yourself out, kid. You know, I was 20 years old. So I just spent a little time messing around with it and uh, mm, had to get that's it. That's kind of part of your stick origin story. It, it is. It is. And by the way, those that are listening, you may have heard a couple of tones in the last minute or two. And um, this is kind of a tap in time first. And uh, Greg Howard, I have to give him the props for it because it was his idea and he spearheaded it. And he uh, he asked us to test it, and uh, we have a live instrument. harpsichord. Live harpsichord, right here with Craig Howard. Exactly, it was intent. Two clavichords. Actually, actually, people aren't seeing, so he has a clavinet. <laughs> <laughs> Do that on a clavinet, <laughs> or the harpsichord, or the harpsichord. Oh. Yeah, that is a first. So, so I, I, I'm sorry to inter, um, to interject there, Victor. But yes, it, it will be so nice to to hopefully in, in this episode and perhaps in future episodes to just have a little um, to be able to share something and then to be able to hear that. I love the harpsichord, okay, but I love hearing Bach on the piano more. You know, mm. to me, that's like it, it. It's the instrument that the, the music was waiting for. You know. And really, uh, so much great recording of Bach's uh, music has been done on the piano. It's just tremendous. So um, I'm really, really grateful to be helping bring the music to the stick. Like I said, so many other great players, you know, Bob, uh, Andre Pellat, uh, Guillermo Cides, um, you know, you, Rodrigo, uh, even Emmett, you know, he has Yezu Joy of Man's Desiring in freehands. So, you know, there's always been a desire to, to have this music um, played on the stick. And I think that that's been, a, you know, a really big um, appeal to me, you know, is that, yeah, I could play this music on the stick. So then I wanted to share with others how to play this music on the stick. So that's you know what, what amazes me most about you, Greg Howard? Well, a, a number of things amaze me, but in particular, going from like a live trio that was completely improvised and fantastic with a, with a, your work with Azul. So here's a guy that's, basically working with two other musicians and they make an album and I'm pretty sure there was a video for it too. That was just so fantastic. And it was this beautiful exploration and all the things that the stick was capable of and left hand and right hand and effects and no effects. But the, the, it was really like this creative, um, like lush jazz soundscape. And then here you are, on the total opposite end of this unstructured music to 
arguably the most, some of the most structured and like mathematically precise music. So it, it just, it shows your versatility and it runs the gamut of expression and versatility and just the perf- it provides the perfect springboard for the instrument and Thanks. your like musical evolution that we all just enjoy tuning into. Well, I really appreciate what you're saying. And I want to, um, I want to use that to just talk about one little aspect of playing Bach on the stick that I'm really hoping to bring forward, which is this idea of treating the music as if it was written for the stick, as opposed to having it have been written for other instruments, you know, and finding ways, you know, so how would Bach write this piece if he was writing it for the stick? And so that means that, you know, we're going to have hammer-ons and pull-offs and, you know, we're going to be able to slide between notes in sometimes, you know, we're going to have certain aspects of the technique that are unique to the instrument. And one of those is, is dynamics. And so I'd really try to bring a sense of liveliness to the music when I play it. That's a big part of what I'm looking for. So the, the precision of the music is, uh, to me, it's a, um, it's an intellectual idea, right? That this music is, is defining something really incredible musically and there's great beauty in it and you can play it on any instrument and it's going to sound beautiful, but on the stick, you can also get your expressive, uh, self into the process of playing the music. So rather than focus so much on precision and anyone who's listened to my recordings or watched my videos can obviously say, this guy's not focusing on precision. He's focusing on verve. You know, he's focusing on putting life in this music. And that, that, that's really what I believe very, very much. So, you know, like the Glenn Gould approach to Bach, as opposed to, you know, someone else who's going to be much more reserved and careful. I'm not a careful musician. So you know, that, that shows. And I, and I'm the, I'm the first to admit it. I'd, I'd much rather go for it and take chances. <laughs> Not a careful music. Yeah. I think, yeah, there's a, there's a certain amount of daring that, that every stick player has to just kind of, uh, just kind of boldly go forward. Um, it, it, I do recall, uh, uh, Tom G saying, you know, like it's, it's hard being a stickist in a guitarist's world because yeah. it just feels like, and Tom's like, you know, he's so like crafty and, you know, meticulous about things. And so, um, you know, he'd examine the, the wavelengths of these things and he'd look at the various different layers of compression and multiband compression. And he'd say, yeah, it's, it's not the, the fundamentals different. It's, 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 it's a different instrument altogether. And so we yeah. have to adapt. It really is a very different instrument on lots of different levels too. So hopefully we can talk about some of the things that are even differences within the stick family in terms of how you approach this music. Like there's a lot of variety in terms of pickups, scale lengths, tunings that influences how someone is going to react to this music too. So I'm trying to think about all that as well. So, Greg, we've heard a bit about your process for developing this book. Can you tell us a bit more specifics about it? Yeah, so it's um, it's a collection of nine pieces, 
And I chose them for a, a variety of reasons. Uh, one is like the level of difficulty. So there's a, there's a broad range of difficulty of the pieces, uh, starting with the first menuet in G, you know, uh, listing 114, which everybody knows. And a lot of people, you know, don't know that it may or probably wasn't even written by Bach, but we, you know, we think about it as yeah. a Bach piece. The notebook of Anna Magdalena Bach. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and I don't even know how to pronounce the name of the guy who wrote it. Christian Petzold, I think is who they say is yeah. the original composer of that piece. But uh, anyway, uh, so that's like the easiest piece. And even that piece has a few challenges in it. Uh, and the most difficult is uh, in the invention number four, which, you know, I still, uh, uh, unless I'm really, really kicking ass, I cannot get through it, you know, without having some kind of, of train wreck going on. I got to really practice that piece a lot because it's a, it's a tough piece, you know. I mean, when you see somebody posting a video online of them with like multiple camera angles, Usually that means that they're using multiple video takes to get through a piece like that. Like when they post something that's like one take, you know, okay, they know this piece, they're nailing this piece. You know, I've used that as a total crutch. I mean, I use that with the beret for sure. You know, and I use that with the, the cello suite uh, as well. Like, okay, I, I know that there's going to be a little flub here or there. So I'll go ahead and use multiple cameras and then I can splice takes for that. So that's a very difficult piece. And uh, in between, there's uh, the minuet uh, in G minor, and then uh, the there's a second minuet in G major, number 116, which I just love that piece. And we worked on that at Interlock, and that was really fun. We actually used that for a class we did there. Um, so I, I wanted to bring the approach into that setting and just have a whole bunch of people work on the lesson and see you know how they reacted to, uh, to the piece. Uh, and there's uh, the musette which I think was uh, Claire's suggestion, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I was looking for other pieces to fill it out. So thank you for that, Claire. That's a really which fun piece. Which one is that? It's a fairly simple piece, but it covers a bunch of, I think, technical things. Yeah, well, it has unison for one thing, which is really a, a great thing. You know, da, 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 da. And so the left and right hand are playing that, those figures together, the second part, which is is great. So that's a skill, you know, that stick players want to develop. And it's great to have a piece that actually illustrates that. And then uh, the minuet in D minor, which was my favorite as a kid. I just totally loved that piece. And one of my students just played that for me. And I was like, wow, what a great piece of music. You know, I just, I loved hearing somebody else being able to play that. That was a great, that was a thrill. And um, then there is... Let's see, Yezu uh, Joy of Man's Desiring, which I arranged, you know, when I did my, my Christmas album with Angela Kelly on the flute, I arranged uh, that piece for us to play together. But it was basically just the stick arrangement and then her playing the melody, you know, along with the stick, you know, for various parts. And then we had a little flute chorale that we arranged to play through the some of the chordal sections. Um, the uh, cello suite prelude is in there. Uh, the Bourree in uh, E minor, and um, trying to think if I'm forgetting anything else. That might be all of them. But they all bring different technical challenges. Uh, you know, they're in different keys. Most of them are in 3-4, which is, I think, probably the biggest uh, deficit in the selection. I wish I had more pieces in, in other time signatures. Um, you know, but it's good to have a grounding in 3-4 uh, as it is. 
And then to help people learn how to play the pieces, you know, so the pieces themselves are lessons, right? All those pieces that were in the notebook for Anna Magdalena Bach, those were all basically in there so that she could learn how to play the instrument. And so they're instructive in harmony, they're instructive in technique and all those things. So uh, you could say, well, that's enough. You know, what do you need to, why do you need to do any more? But I wanted to isolate certain technical challenges within each piece and provide support exercises for those pieces like I did with my songbook. So that's a big part of the book as well. Before each piece, you have a series of preparatory exercises that'll help you kind of get the tricky parts into your muscle memory so you don't have to struggle with them as you're learning how to play the piece. Uh, so that's all the pieces and all the exercises are done in staff tab notation so that you have all the information for fingering, note placement, uh, and all of that. Uh, and then I also included uh, standard notation versions of all the pieces. So uh, altogether, the book is about uh, 75 pages. You know, even though it's only nine pieces, uh, it's a lot of pages, you know, which is good. It looks hefty, even though, you know, there's not as many words as I usually put in a book, which is also a good thing because, you know, it's all about the notes. It's not about the words, Greg. It's about the notes, right? <laughs> uh, you know, we do love to talk about the Chapman sticker on Tap and Time. <laughs> we're we're think... dancing about architecture. Isn't that the, uh, the David <laughs> Byrne quote here? <laughs> So Greg, so I, I seem to recall this lesson and, and then I remember talking to you about it and you were like, have you tried it? And I was like, I was a little embarrassed. I hadn't. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that I find, so we're going to dive into some specifics now about playing Bach on the Chapman stick. And we talked about this years ago and that was these long sections where you're going, and it's like, you're trying to do this across like in the right hand and the, the, you know, the right hand plays it and, you know, we're in fourths and everything's cool. And the left hand is looking down at the right hand saying, uh, you look like you're looking at me like now I've got to play that. And so now you've got to play that same run in the left hand. And I see you shaking your head, Greg Howard, but, but this is an epiphany and this is a, 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 a you're going to level up the whole team here. I can already tell. Like, well, you know, it, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book was because I felt like uh, this I made a discovery in learning how to play this music that I feel like it's one of the most important things that I've ever figured out about this instrument. And it really, uh, it goes back in a way to uh, the first Freehands Academy where Larry Tuttle came uh, as a guest to Freehands Academy. And Larry and I were talking about, um, you know, playing uh, classical music on the stick. And I told him I was working on the cello suite prelude and I was trying to learn it as an exercise for my left hand, but that it was really, I was really having a hard time with it because I was trying to play all these diatonic runs with a one, two, three, four fingering, you know? So um, let me see if I can do this guys. So I'm going to say, so I'm not used to playing it with four fingers, but uh, so that's a, you know, I'm, I'm playing A, B, C, D. And that's the span between the C and the D with the third and the fourth finger. It's a whole step, right? And it's way up on the board and it's very awkward to try to make that transition with three and four. All right. So then I thought uh, I, I, I worked on this piece for like 
three years. And Larry had told me, he said, you know, this is one of the biggest challenges of the stick. Uh, and, you know, he's a classical music guy. You know, he's a classically trained bassist and he loves to adapt classical music. That guy. He's amazing. I was so great to hang out with him at Interlochen this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I told him, well, you know, I'm, I'm working on this. And if I find a solution for this, he said, you know, those diatonic runs in the left hand, they're just really hard. I said, well, if I find a solution for this, you know, I'll let you know. And and sure enough, uh, I figured it out. And I was able to, you know, next time I saw him, I was like, Larry, man, I figured it out. Check this out. You know, I was so excited because he was the guy who, who made me really want to get into this. And so the, what the strategy is, uh, is that instead of trying to use four fingers to play those runs, which ties up, you know, the third and fourth finger uh, with a common tendon, uh, I figured out that I could use three fingers in the left hand to do the same function. Uh, like I use three fingers in the right hand. Everybody knows that because uh, I never shut up about it. But, um, <laughs> but the, uh, in the left hand... In order to be able to make those transitions from string to string, that's the that's a tricky part, right? So you got to jump back, you know, five f frets, you know, to get from from one note to the next, you know, or even six frets if it's a half step. And so I figured out, well, I got to be ending the line on my third finger, and I'm going to be starting it on my first finger. How can I cover the other two notes that are inside that string in that position? So what I would do is I would say, okay. I'll play one and two, which I would normally do. And then I'm going to shift up and play the third note with my first finger again. So I'll play first finger, second finger, first finger, and then third finger to play the last note. And that means when I make my transition to the next string, I'm using a more open hand. I don't have my crunched up hand with the pinky to do that uh, because I tried that for, you know, for 30 years I almost. I tried to do that and I could never make it work. And so you know there's my passage using 1 2 1 3 it's much more fluid and the benefit is that all the notes can have the same clear articulation which if you're using four fingers to try to play a run like that you know it's very hard to get it and it's even harder to get it when you're going down Right. So when you start going down, you know, I'm a little sloppy there, but you can hear how the, the clarity of the notes is the same. Right. And I can make those transitions from string to string without really having to struggle to open up my hand. So uh, that was the discovery. And that's what enabled me to actually learn how to play the piece without trying to kill myself every day. You know, it was just so hard. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't get it. And, you know, uh, some people will never like this approach. They will always want to do the four fingers because that's how they think. And, you know, more power to them, make it work for you however you want. But I really believe in this approach and I, and I use it in so many of the pieces in the book it's it's a huge part of the foundation of of, of moving through this, and uh, you know the the minuet in G minor, which I sent you guys uh, as part of that PDF, you know that yeah. has the cover in it. Uh, that piece, and you would you be, I actually owe this piece to you because you talked about alternate placement of the left hand for this piece, and it made so much sense to put it where you suggested to put it, which was to play it way up high. 
Is that Claire or Jean that you're saying? That, that was too? Jean. Because yeah, I, I think I Jean. got that from Claire. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know where it came from. Like, okay. Straight out stolen no, I, from I probably learned player. this while taking lessons with Craig. So it's I, like we've, we've come yeah. full circle, right? I, I so. think so, yeah. And this is one of the Thank pieces you, that I that I'll I, take the credit, I Claire, though. I'll take the Claire into proofreading for me during the lesson. That's it. So, you know, Greg, something that... I mean, yeah, I play three fingers. I play four fingers. I, I do it to the situation. But something that until you just said this about like three minutes ago, the whole, you know, the using uh, going from your pinky to the index finger, the scrunched hand to the open hand. That's something that I had not really heard before. And it's easier for me to to say that having just seen you do it, because I have the benefit of the video feed while we record. But our listeners don't. But the whole idea that, you know, when you're playing a note with your pinky on your left hand, which I do all the time and I'm never going to stop because I'm one of those people. But um, I do sometimes play three finger if uh, if a situation calls for it and you've just given me one situation that that may call for it, that will be one where, OK, I'm going to use three fingers in this. But going from that pinky to index finger, you do go from, you know, your wrist does have to change angles quite severely to go from a pinky to an index finger and back five frets like you were just describing. That's a, that, that's a great, um, I don't know, piece of information. I don't know. Lesson. Great. It's, you, it's a great thing. I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. And you know, if people want to see this, they can go on my YouTube channel and they can look at the video of the cello suite prelude, which shows this, you know, exact thing that I was just playing in action. Um, it, to me, it's just a feeling like, when I play this stick, I really try to embrace Emmett's whole idea of free hands. Like I really want my hands to be able to move around. I don't like to park them in one place. And in fact, you know, my thumb is always moving. It's never sitting still. Any two notes that I play adjacent to each other, there's a little bit of a hand shift along the board. So I have these calluses on the sides of my thumb from doing that for 35 years, you know, and that's a that's just the only calluses I have from playing the stick because I don't practice enough. But, um, you know, that's that's the reality Craig for Howard me. Howard doesn't practice stick enough. Uh, Come, on. Come on. I don't. I, you I used to. You hear it first. You know, I used to practice. Greg Howard admits to not practicing enough. <laughs> so, now, I, I, Greg, I think... You actually have a video on this specifically, don't you? Not just the the suite, the cello suite. I think I do you have had a, a thing I, about I covering bass lines on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I posted a Facebook video um, about, I guess, a little over a year ago about this. I was doing a series of Facebook videos, uh, you know, as a way to kind of work out some of these lessons. So I call it the Great Unified Three Fingered Bass Strategy. And it's a nice it's short, big, short yeah, title. Exactly. <laughs> you know. yeah. Does, is there an acronym for that that maybe we can like? It starts uh, with yeah. the great, and that's what you need to know. That's what you need to remember. It is not small in its scale or scope. Exactly. So, well, what I, the reason why I chose that is that it covers a lot of different scenarios for the left hand. So it's built on the foundation of the pentatonic scale, right? So the the, the pentatonic scale. Always, in my approach to it anyway, I use three fingers to play the pentatonic scale naturally. So I'm using one, two, three in the because there's three notes per string. So if I was in that same position, so there's my one, two, three, one, two, and so I want to transition from third finger to first finger. That's how I make my string transition. And so then I thought, well, if I'm going to do a diatonic line, I don't want to have a different transition for that whole step from string to string. I want to have the same physical feeling. So that's why I want to have the third finger be the last note on the string ascending. 
So now pentatonic is the same as diatonic. And if I'm playing chromatic, it's the same as well. So chromatic as well, third finger to first finger, same thing. That physical transition from one high point on the string to the low point on the next string, if that's consistent, all I have to think about is where I'm gonna land and not what finger I'm supposed to use. Because sometimes I might even land with my second finger going back to the first note, right? Or I might stop with my second finger going up. But, but when I'm playing a run that's like a really long run, I gotta have a consistent strategy. I can't have to think about that all the time. What am I supposed to do when I come across this situation? So that's what really what the book is about. It's about strategies, how to identify things that I need to know in my technique to play this music, no matter what piece it is. That's what I'm looking for. So thanks for the question. It, it, it is to me like by far the, the best thing that I've come up with, you know, for the stick as far as just technique and the people who've learned it, who really like, oh, wow, okay, I'm going to check this out and they check it out. It's like, okay, that actually works. You're not a lunatic, Greg. I always thought you were a lunatic, but in this regard, you're not a lunatic. And oh, I know yeah, that doesn't change. You, you are a lunatic. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying you can fool some of the people some of the time, yeah. right? <laughs> but now I, now I have to ask Rodrigo. I know that in your left hand. Now I know that you've tried some of this with your left hand, and I want to ask you if that became. I use a all part. of it. I use all of it. Yeah. Well, you, Greg knows this because it was with him, of course. So in in the beginning, uh, the first piece I wrote using the stick, I had this run on the left hand, so, and I couldn't figure out how to play it right. So I had a, a lesson with Greg and he said, well, try this and the, the three finger thing. And for me, it made complete sense because I have some really small hands. And one thing, because you, now you were, you were saying you finish, like you go up one, two, three, and then you use one to, when you go down to, to the next string. With my hands and your technique, what I've figured out for, that's most comfortable for me is if, if I can even go up and finish on the first or on the second finger, but when I come down to pick the next note, I just I can even start with the third. So it's all in the wrist for me. It's all in the the, the three fingers releases my wrist instead of having my hand moving up and forth like a claw. It just releases the wrist and everything becomes so much more musical. So I don't even think about which finger am I finishing. All I have to feel is the wrist free. And that happens. So whenever I play a run, particularly on the, on the, on the bass side, it's, it's the only way I can make it musical. And for me, it's, it's all about the music. So I can play a lot of notes, but if it doesn't sound musical, if it's not a, like playing the stick, if it's not a real alternative, to the original instrument or whatever, it, it's not good enough. So it has to be. Say it. Say whatever. it. <laughs> say whatever. the word. That's all. So, if, so for me, the, the, this whole technique, this whole thing you devised allows me as a musician to, to, to do not worry about my left hand. So it's just all in the wrist. So the wrist, it's like, you know, when you, I don't know if you guys had that in, in the U.S., but when I was a kid here, we had this huge mania of yo-yos. You know, there's a whole bunch of tricks with yo-yos you can do. And it's all about, it's all in the wrist. So this thing for me personally, I just pick Is whatever. Is that why you're so good? 
no, yo-yo. Actually, I'm, I'm just it. using that's the yo-yo it. concept with Greg's ideas, and that's how I come up with my own thing. I think I think stick training, early uh, early stick exercises. You got to go out and buy a butterfly, yeah. and you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, and cradles and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. you got it. What was the thing with the Karate Kid? You know, he had the the wax on, wax off. Exactly. So it's a thing with the yo-yo. That's right, yo-yo on, yo-yo off. So, so you you mentioned karate, and of course, karate means open hand, right? And to me, that's how I think about the stick. I think about it as my hands are open; they're not closed, and that's part of the magic of how the instrument feels to me. So when I when I try to play things with four fingers, my hand just feels closed. It doesn't feel like it's free to move around very much. And, you know, I played for a, a good 20 years on the 10 string before I ever got a grand stick. And being able to move laterally along the strings, you know, instead of always across the frets uh, at one position, you got to move your hand around. You just, there's no option for it. You have to do it. So it's having the hand be open. That's what really works for me. Greg, I have a couple of questions for you. The music of Bach is so complex and it offers so many challenges that, well, if you wrote a book and you, you have like the whole bunch of pieces for it, you have, you have to have come across a bunch of technical difficulties that you have to, to overcome, right? So what are the things that you found out that are particular to the instrument, things that you cannot do, things that you can do, things that you have to use specific techniques on, whatever it is that's challenging and it, it is connected in uh, uh, on a deeper level with uh, doing the, the music the way it's supposed to be played and doing it on a Chapman stick. Okay, well, you know, that's a huge question. And uh, one of the big reasons why I wanted to write the book was that I have a lot of students And, uh, you know, everybody teaches what they know, right? I'm not going to teach people what I don't know. So since I'm a three-fingered player, I feel obligated to find ways to teach my students who want to learn how to play that way uh, how to do different things. And so when I'm looking at this music, I, I have to think, okay, as a three-fingered player, what is my approach to playing this music? And, and uh, how am I going to make that work? Uh, without having to learn a whole new technique every time I want to try to approach a piece. So uh, there are a few things in the music that present technical challenges to anyone just because of the way the stick is laid out. So one of the biggest ones is the challenge of uh, playing fourths in the melody smoothly, right? Because you've got the same fret happening, you know, at, at one string. I mean, the same notes are happening yeah. at the same fret on adjacent strings, when you play a fourth and even more often uh, you have these dominant seventh intervals where you've got to play the same fret two strings two apart. Strings. So if you're used to thinking about playing the notes in a scale with all the fingers having a certain position assignment for those notes, that becomes a challenge because you're going to say, well, I'm playing a fourth, you know, I'm going to play, uh, if I look at the, the first minuet, 
that note right there, that C. So going from the G to the C, right, that's a fourth. So I've got to use a substitute finger to do that unless I'm going to use the same finger. So when I play the melody originally, I'm playing, uh, and when I use three fingers, so I have uh, three, two, three, one, two, three. And then I'm going to repeat a note. I'm going to alternate my fingers there instead of using the same finger to do that, just because I like the way it sounds. I could use the same finger or not. Uh, that's a musical choice. Do I want it to be more staccato or do I want it to be more legato? So then when I get to the later part of the passage, that transition there, instead of going two, 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 like that, which would be the scale fingering, I'm going to go two, one, two, one. And that to me is more smooth. It's more legato. I have more control over it. And as a three-fingered player, uh, I have three fingers per string. So as I move through these diatonic lines, I always know what the next finger is going to be when I'm playing up and down on a string. That's not a problem. Uh, but when I get to things like um, the second part of the piece, right, which has... There's a fourth right there. So I'm going from that uh, G, uh, I'm going, sorry, from the D to the G. And when I do that, when I change within the phrase, I don't want to use, I don't want to use the same finger because that breaks up the phrase, right? It's a, it's a continuous flow that I'm going for. So I say, here's the whole phrase. So I want each one of those little segments of those phrases to flow. And that's how using an alternate finger to play those fourths is really going to make a difference in terms of how things sound. Okay. So part of the strategy there is to know how to finger each of the scale positions adjacently. So uh, at that point I'm playing, uh, it's actually a D major scale, but I'm playing it in between uh, an A. That's one position, right? So that's the third finger position. And then I know the second finger position really well, too. And I'm switching back and forth between those two positions. And since they both use the same sequence of fingerings, one, two, three, it's very easy to make those transitions between the two positions. I don't have to think at all about which finger I'm using. So that's the, that's the process and how it, how it works. And I play the line and I go between them and I've got this. So I've got, uh, let's see if I can play this without screwing it up. So really, my goal is to have that, um, that flow. That's the thing I'm looking for. And I don't want that flow to be interrupted by having to repeat a note with the same finger within a phrase. It's okay to repeat a note with the same finger when there's a break in the phrase. That's not a problem. And I do that a lot in like the beret, for example, uh, because there's a lot of fourths and a lot of sevenths in that piece. And if I'm, if I'm going to be able to, to kind of try to stay within some reasonable uh, number of positions to play it, I have to be able to do that. So things like... Um, 
there's a place where I would play. There's a break in the line. Da do da boo da da. I can play. I can end the first phrase, and then play the same finger. In that case, I'm using the third finger to play the last note of the first segment and the first note of the second segment. So if there's no break, uh, if there's a break in the phrases, you want to use the same finger to play two notes in a sequence, great, no problem. But you want to try to avoid doing that within a, a single phrase because that really breaks up the legato nature of the phrase, right? So that's one of the challenges of playing this music is when you've got a fourth or a dominant seventh that you have to cover in the right hand, you got to have a specific strategy for each situation. That strategy may be a position shift, which allows you to use a substitute finger, or if you don't have to do the position shift, if you can just repeat a finger, then that also works. But, you know, it's a musical choice. Right? You want to make the music sound good. Like Rodrigo said, if it's not going to sound good, there's no point in playing it. You know, it's just an right. exercise. So that, to me, is the reason why I like to use... Uh, it's one of the reasons why I use three fingers is because I find it very easy to transition from one position to the next using three fingers. And I, you have to do it a lot in this music because you have all those fourths and sevenths. And in order to get that flow, you just have to change from one position to the next adjacent position up or down. It just happens all the time. So that's, that's how that works technically yeah. for me. Yeah. I don't know how people who play four fingered address that question. You know, I, I don't know if Rodrigo well, can, can speak the about same that. Thing. I mean, swapping fingers on the same fret like you just described that's you you can't play this music really without doing that you can't it doesn't matter mm -hmm. whether you're using three or four it gets you to a new position both ways that's been my experience at least but that's one of the things that it's a fundamental basically that you know if, if you're going from one string to the next and you're trying to keep it as you say flowing smoothly you've got to switch fingers uh, or else there's just gonna be too much of a there's gonna be too much of a gap between those two notes that's just gonna sound so out of place do you do that a lot with your pinky? Oh, I never do it with my pinky. It's either it's 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 the first three fingers that do it. It's either it's either from sometimes I'll do two finger jumps. You know, I'll mm -hmm. go from the first finger to the third finger on the next string over to if that's what the position shift All needs to be. That's right. a little bit more difficult than just doing a one finger switch. But I don't know. I can't think of a time where I use my fourth finger and jump to my third on an adjacent string. That's a bit difficult to do because the two fingers are so different in length. That's my observation. So I don't, I choose not to do it with those two fingers. I'll find another way okay. that, that lets me use two fingers that are closer to the same length. I mean, ideally, my experience, it's best between the middle finger and the ring finger because they're, they're very similar fingers. Your index finger, actually, at least my index finger is, is quite a bit shorter than my middle finger. It's not as short, uh, as big of a jump as with my pinky, hmm. but uh, I don't, think I've ever done it with my pinky. No, right. it's always the other three fingers. So the thing was with three fingers, it's very easy to do it with any of them at any moment. You never really have to think about yeah. not and using one Yeah, and at times like that, I find I'm, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, sometimes I play a three-finger technique, sometimes I play a four-finger technique, and sometimes a four-finger technique, quite frankly, doesn't work for me. Uh, and so I play three-finger, and that's one of the times when, you know, it's you know, stay away from the pinky when you want to shift like that, yeah. uh, at least in that fashion. So, so for this music, where basically we're not talking about playing a complex chordal structure, there's not a lot of chromaticism in it or anything like that. 
uh, I find that this strategy works really, really well. And, uh, and, uh, I haven't come across anything in any of these pieces that I, that I had to alter my basic technique in order to be able to play it. The basic technique mm -hmm. supported every single one of the pieces. It was just a question of, you know, learning how to do it and learning how to play the, the two parts together. You know, that's, that's the challenge really with this music is keeping both hands flowing because they're doing very different things almost all the time. You know, it's really like, wow, you know, the motion in one hand is way different from the motion in another. And uh, what Gene mentioned earlier about how, you know, you're moving really a lot of lateral movement along the string in the left hand and in the right hand is just kind of staying where it is. So, you know, for example, in that, in that first minuet, right? So the left hand, uh, I like to use this diatonic fingering strategy that I was just talking about. Even though I'm moving very slowly, it helps me figure out things. So I'm going... that's all happening on one, basically mostly on one string in the left hand, because I want to be able to have that consistency in the tone. It's a, it's a musical choice. In the minuet in G minor, it's, you really see it because you've got this, that you're way up high on the instrument and you've got these descending diatonic movements. that's just such a beautiful sound and it sounds beautiful because the, the, the clarity of all the notes is there, you know, and if I was to try to go up and play that high bass note with my pinky and descend, you know, down a whole step to the third finger, it would just feel very scrunched and difficult to do. I want to be able to, to flow and move. So I kind of liken it to running hurdles. And so if you've yeah. ever seen somebody run hurdles, there's a, and regardless of what you're using three or four, it doesn't really matter. The, the idea in this particular, with this particular type of music is that you have to think like two or even three notes ahead, mm -hmm. especially in the left hand, because your notes are stacked and uh, in, 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 in the fifth, as opposed to the fourths, whereas the fourth is just anchored. You could almost like take a piece of tape and like tape your pink, tape your thumb to one location on the back of the instrument. And like, chances are you could probably play the whole piece just right there, right there, right near the 12th fret could probably just nail the whole thing. But with the left hand, it has to be able to move back and forth. And you have to every single, like when you get ready for the, like you have to go fast. Yes. But you also have to jump over the hurdle, which is kind of like sticking each note. So each time you're, you're judging your steps as you get closer to the hurdle, you still want to be able to maximize your speed. And then you, it's lift and release. And for me, the, what has helped in the left hand is, but before I commit to anything and, and, and granted, like it's, it's all a puzzle. It feels like a puzzle that you're putting together to make it um, sound musical, to make it sound like a piece that you would want to listen to. And a lot of that, ha and, and I'm so glad that there is a book now because you'll get, and we talked about this, I think in episode number five, where you're like six weeks into learning it and you're like, oh, it, it's not going to work. You know, like I, I, have, to, <laughs> I have to change the whole it's thing. It's not going to work. It was a bad idea. You know, and, and I remember Kevin Keith talking about this one time. It was so funny because he's like, mm. And like he had like MIDI going on in his left hand, you know, there was all kinds of crazy stuff. So, so, you know, he was like, you know, 
composing this piece and and every stick player has gone through that where you're you're like you run out of frets or uh maybe you, you 12 string people don't have as, as much of an issue with that certainly but just the placement and the investment and time and effort and so it, it's almost like um if you're a fan of newton or kepler you know these things tend to stay in motion so you know that newton's laws of gravity are like things in motion tend to stay in motion and so whatever um, I suppose whatever technique allows you to make it sound musical is the one that is that is the one that should work. Now, what I love about your approach is is like, well, let's look at what we're using to realize this. And this, this, and I'm pointing at my hand. I'm looking at my hand. My left hand in particular um, has some limitations, you know. And, and and I remember talking about you know having the same muscle in the pinky. And, and in the third finger, you know, there's all these, these things to consider when you're doing it. So the, the, the end game really is good music, running your best, you know, 1500, you know, you know, meter dash, whatever it is, but just nailing each post and going as fast and efficiently as you can. Yeah, I, I love the analogy of the hurdles. Uh, for me, there's one moment in that G minor minuet that feels like I'm making the perfect layup, right? <laughs> I, and which I, I, I was a terrible, terrible basketball player. Like I couldn't, I, I could not, you know, acquit myself on the court offensively or defensively. I don't know what it was. I was just awful at it. But every now and then I made a, I made a perfect layup. And I remember always how that felt. And it was like <laughs> the steps and the move, everything is working. And there's this point in that piece where, um, let me see if I can do it in, in isolation, but it's... That booby 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 boom. When you go through that, it just feels like, oh, I did it, and it just feels so good. Yeah, and and the something is, about that section. I don't it know what really it is, is that's amazing. A tough section. And and it wouldn't feel like that on another instrument. Like that's a stick feeling. And I think mm -hmm. that's when you get to those places, you're like, wow, I'm really playing this instrument. You know, that's the feeling of joy that you get when you're playing this instrument. It's like, wow, how I, I can do that. And so. In order to be able to do that, though, I feel like I need to be able to think strategically so that I have all the tools that I need. When I find that situation, what is it that I'm doing? You know, how, where is it in my approach that's allowing me to do that? And that's a section where if I tried to play that whole line in one position, it would be very difficult, right? But to play it, you know, in this way, it's, it's covering. So that's two positions there positions. I'm using three adjacent positions to play that line, shifting from one to the next to the next, okay? And because I've trained myself in how to move through those positions, it makes that line much less of a challenge than it would be if I was trying to do it all in one place, Yeah. okay? That's what moving your hands around and being able to navigate those position changes is going to give you. That's a strategic part of learning how to play this music is being willing to make those position changes as they come up. As you were saying that, um, there are these moments of um, triumph and fantastic grief and sadness. When <laughs> I think I know where you're going with this, Gene. <laughs> there, there, there is, and we've talked about this, about just how painful it is and like what we must have suffered in previous lives that keeps bringing us back to this music and insisting on playing it on the Chapman stick. Um, 
the 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 one one bit that I always remember is there's that isolated section in, in Man of uh, a Joy of Man's Desiring, where it's and as you're going through that, I'm watching my hand and I'm thinking. I'm only in this one little three note stretch, right? So in terms of like the lateral motion, I'm just planted. I'm just planted right there. Mm-hmm. But I, as I'm seeing, you know, kind of the, the bars go by, you know, as, if it was like, like a video or something like that, it's all these different chords and different inversions. And I'm just like, I'm just using the same like six notes, but it's like the arrangement of it. And the choice is like you're, it's one, it's four, six or four, two, you know, and, and it happens so quickly and it's done with such efficiency. You know the part I'm talking about? Mm-mm. Yeah. So it's, it's like C there, it's like two there. So yeah. again, a situation where when I use three fingers... When you have those fourths in there and you make that quick little substitution, it's just very easy to do. And again, you could do the same thing with four fingers. It's just that uh, I'm used to using three fingers. And my point in talking about this is that I want to make sure that people who are using three fingers don't get dissuaded from sticking to that approach when they try to learn how to play this music. Because it's all totally doable. There's no impediment at all with three fingers to playing this music. Not so. The the proof is in the pages, and uh, and you can learn it yourself. No big deal. I'm sitting here uh, admiring the cover of of your book and designed uh, by Art Durkey, by the way. Art is a really great graphic and artist. He did a and great job. He did a great job. This looks really nice. It's I'm not even going to try and describe it except to say that it it, it rocks. It works. Um, the cover indicates, as um, any good stick book that actually is targeted does that this is for 10 string baritone melody and 12 string classic tunings. And I guess that's a good springboard for uh, some discussion about tunings, both in your book and beyond. Um, My first question as someone who plays matched reciprocal, do you intend to release a matched reciprocal version of this? And what are the thoughts do you have about tuning that came into mind when you're doing all of this work? Okay, well, let me start off with why I chose to uh, write this book for this particular uh, set of tunings, okay? So the main reason that I wanted to use this particular um, set of tunings is that you have to, when you're looking at this music, you have to think about where you're going to place it in the octave. And it's very hard on the stick to play a lot of this music in the original octave that it's written in on the keyboard. It's very high. Okay. And so if you're going to play it that high, then you're going to be way up on the fretboard. So you got to 
bring, especially bring the left hand down to uh, at least one octave to be able to accomplish most of it. Uh, the cello suite prelude is the exception. That one is actually played at the original octave written because it's a cello piece and that's no problem for the stick. But um, as far as the other ones go, uh, let me see if I can do this. It's been a while since I tried it, but I'm going to play the, um, I'll play you the, the first minuet in the octave. So if I played it up an octave, right, it would be like this. It would be way up there, right? That's the original piano octave that the piece is written okay. in. Okay. So my left hand is way up here at, uh, at frets number 10 and 14, and it's bumping into my right hand. It can only, it can only go so high. That, right? that, that doesn't look like it's going to end well. Like I'm looking <laughs> yeah, at that and like, it's, it's not a, even, like we can't even see it on the camera. It's, it's, it's so a high challenge. Up, right? yeah. Both hands are so, so high up. So, like, so what we have to do is we, ha and the thing is that uh, we have to take it down an octave in order for it to work. So if I'm going to do that, I'm going to be down here. Now, for this piece, it's not a problem to play that on the classic 10-string tuning because I'm not using the uh, the C-sharp string. Um, my lowest string is the F-sharp string. But there are a lot of other pieces, like the Invention, uh, number uh, four. I'm on my lowest melody string right now, which is a C-sharp string. So there's no way to play that in the classic tuning in that octave. I would have to play that an octave up and the piece goes too high, really, to do that. So in order to retain the octave relationship that the two hands have to each other, right, I don't want to spread them apart by an octave. I don't want to play like this. Uh, let's see, get back to the... Yeah, and for those that can't see the camera, his hands were like six miles apart. Yeah, so the, the 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 notes are so far apart that they don't sound right. So there's there's an aspect to the way the harmony is constructed where you want to have those octave relationships retained. Okay, and so among ten string tunings, the baritone melody tuning is really the best one for this because it allows you to keep the octaves in their specific relationship to each other with both hands, and it allows you to play everything right. You don't have to, um, you don't have to compromise. There's no notes that you're going to miss. I mean, there are pieces like, uh, in the, the G minor one, I'm ending like this. I'm I got to go way down here. Now I'm at frets, um, eight and nine with my right hand in order to play that chord, you know, I'm down here as low as I can get without bumping into my left hand, right? So that's a big jump. I have to get way down there to, to cover that. If I was playing it in an, a higher octave, I wouldn't have that issue. But I wouldn't be able to play the left hand in the octave that it needed to be in order to have that relationship. So in order to retain the, the two parts being in the right octaves with each other, you have to use a lower tuning for a 10-string instrument. Now, uh, the baritone melody 10-string is the inside 10-strings of the classic 12-string, right? That's exactly the same. The frets are in the same place. Uh, if I wanted to play everything that's in this book on a match reciprocal 12-string, all I would have to do is raise the melody part up two frets on the board because the match reciprocal 12-string 
is all the six melody strings, but one whole tone lower, right? So in order to get the same pitch, you just add two to the fret number for classic uh, 12 string to convert it to match reciprocal 12 string, you're just up two frets. If I'm gonna try to do it in match reciprocal 10 string, I would have to rewrite the whole thing, which, you know, it's taken me seven years. <laughs> I, I remember this. To, to I remember this, this. I remember these discussions Greg, yeah, like very, very early point. on. And it was because, you know, it's something about stickists get it in their head and they're like, I need the music written for me for my instrument in my tuning period, okay. the end. And it's kind of like, that's not part of what being a stick player is. Yeah. You have to have some discomfort you have to feel like you don't belong. Like you suffer. Just, yeah. Exactly. Suffer. Exactly. Exactly. And, okay. and and more so for this music. I remember it was like, how are we gonna how are you gonna do this? You know, like how are you gonna do this? Like for, for ten different tunings, right? And what about the alto guys and gals? Well, so you know, here's the alto the thing. people. The alto like, guys and gals can use my expanded alto tuning, right? Or my is it the extended alto? Yeah, it's the extended alto tuning. Uh, it's the same as the baritone melody 10 string. Everything gotcha. is just up an octave from there. So they, those guys, if you have an alto stick and you're in that tuning, you can play this exactly the same way. Gotcha. Everything is fine. I was mostly now, kidding, but I'm glad you have a solution. I'm not surprised. I but there is an alternative that I am going to do. My hope for the another version of this book will be uh, to make one for the raised match reciprocal tuning because that actually goes high enough in the left hand, right? Because the left hand is up a whole step, even though it's a 10 string tuning, because the left hand is up a whole step, it makes it much more possible to play everything in the octave as written. And that's what that book would be. Everything would be at written pitch as opposed to an octave lower. And I think I can do it. I've gone through most of the pieces to see if that will actually fly. And I think it will fly, but let me finish this version of the book yeah. first. Well, well, let me ask a question <laughs> about then... that too, because I've, 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 it's good that you're here because I've, I've mentioned this to, to, you know, Gene and Rodrigo and Claire before in our discussions that you wrote the Greg Howard songbook or you wrote the stick book and then you wrote the same book for a different tuning. How much work does that involve to take a book like this Bach book? And to just convert it straight over to another tuning, assuming that there isn't any major rewrites needed of the actual music and, and placements. Well, there is. That's the thing. Is it because, because with staff tab, okay, you're specifying the string, you're specifying the fret, right? So, so the goal there would be that the fingering would, for the most part, stay the same and that you would simply be transposing everything up an octave uh, in actual, you know, you would be playing it at written pitch. So I'd have to figure out exactly where that would be on the board, but I would try to use the same fingering because the fingering is, is showing the technique. So maybe this is a bit self-serving, but if you were to take this book and make a matched reciprocal version of it, which basically would just be, you know, moving two frets on the right hand, how long would that take you? But that's not the right answer because you can't just move two frets on the right hand for, the match reciprocal 10 string, right? Because you lose that low right, you string. You need a low string. I actually, it, I, I get it, that. It changes, it changes everything, right? So, so you, I wouldn't do it for specifically for match reciprocal tuning. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't bother. It would be only for match reciprocal grand stick players. And they can just take the book that I have and move the right hand up two frets, right? So that's the work that they can do. Uh, the left hand would be exactly the same. 
a match reciprocal 10 string player. Oh, you can't do I it. I can't no. do it. Uh, I can't do it. The only way I could do it would be to split the octave further apart for the hands. Yeah. And to me, that just doesn't sound good. I, I don't want to do no, that. I'm, so I'm if they want to figure out how to play this Actually, music on their own, they can. I'm not a Bach but match reciprocal like 10. some of these, some of the other people on this discussion mm-hmm. are, but... I do know that when I went from a 10 string to a 10, I'm getting a lot of crazy looks. But I beg your pardon. What does that mean? But I do know that when I went, you know, when I when I bought my grand stick, my first grand stick, uh, you know, my Bach playing got a lot more possible. I'm not just going to say better. It got possible. I could I couldn't play the eighth invention without that low melody string. Um, yeah, it's a can't. it's a big deal. And, you and know, it's so know so, so the only yeah so I think there are two 10 string tunings that actually work well for this music. You know, uh, and maybe Gene's tuning would do would, the full baritone also might work really well. Although when I'm playing that invention number four in the lower octave, I'm using the low C as part of the arrangement. Right. It's in there Ooh. twice. So, you know, I don't know, Gene, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not going to be doing the full baritone, full baritone <laughs> version of the book. I'm just not going to do it. You know, okay. I've, I'm used to the suffering and that's <laughs> just all part of the puzzle for Gene me. Gene has some 12 right. strings too, though. I mean, come oh, on. Oh, that's true. Okay. okay. He okay. could so play it. He could play it. Yeah. Okay. Good. So, so that's, that's the issue is when you're deciding to write a certain material for a certain tuning, it, it has to fit, you know. And so the only way with the 10 string I could find was to do it for baritone melody, which luckily is my main 10 string tuning. And uh, also I'm going to try for the raised match reciprocal. So you guys and gals who love raised match reciprocal tuning, it's coming, right? It won't take seven years. (laughs) Buy a book for your friend who's in another tuning and that'll speed up the price. (laughs) It is such a dilemma. It is such a dilemma. You know, when you, it's like, guitarists never had to worry about this. They never had to worry about 10 different tunings. Like they just tune up, but but like with a Chapman stick player, it's like, you have to get used to this kind of preparation. You have to get used to this kind of, uh, especially if you're going to be reading, you know, this is, this is what's available. Okay. So, so this brings us to another question, which I think is a question that, you know, uh, maybe uh, Victor, I know you and I have talked about this a little bit previously, but the whole idea of, well, if you want to play Bach, shouldn't you just use a mirrored fourths tuning instead of using uh, the stick tunings of fifths in the bass? And so uh, I would say if your goal was to play this music, like that was your primary goal, then I would say, yes, you should use a mirrored fourths tuning to do it. And you need seven strings in the left hand because you need to have enough range to be able to accomplish it because that way you're using exactly the same motions to play the exact same kinds of phrases with the left hand as you do with the right. But my goal in learning this music is not specifically just to play this music. My goal in learning this music is to learn how to play the stick. That's why I want to learn how to play this music because it teaches me things that I'm not going to learn on my own. I'm not going to come up with what this music is going to teach me on my own. And because the fifth's tuning is so different, because it's it's so broad along the string, I'm going to learn so much about how to play the fifths by learning how to play this music. That's, to me, the reason to learn how to play it. I like to perform it, you know, uh, these pieces are really great. Uh, you know, the, that first, the first two menuets, that's my daily warm-up. I play those. First thing, I pick up the instrument every single time I play those two pieces. 
because I just feel like they ground me, they center me, they get my hands moving in a way that's really helpful to just say, okay, I'm not going to be playing chords, I'm not playing the blues, I'm not doing any of that stuff. I'm just moving my hands, really concentrating on moving my hands. That's a great. So, yeah. that's a great answer to to that question. Yeah. If you want, if you really want to play this music, like if that's your goal with playing the stick, is to play uh, Bach and other kinds of Baroque music, classical music, by all means, get yourself an instrument in mirrored fourths, you know. But if you want to be able to play, as Gene was saying improvised music and jazz and rock and roll and classical and folk and reggae and world music and everything, right? This tuning, Emmett's tuning, inverted fifths in the bass, fourths in the melody is so versatile and so powerful that, you know, we're just learning how to do it better by learning how to play Bach. Oh, That's what we're well doing. Said. Exactly. So Greg, one final question I have is... In Bach, you have so much ornamentation. You have trills, you have mordants, you have all these sort of things. Um, what's your take on it? Are you, do you have them, like, written in the book or not? Do you use them? Don't you use them? Why? So, um, Well, I, I, it's, a, it's an interesting subject. So first I want to go back to the whole point of why there are mordants in the music to begin with. And I think that... Um, This is just a guess on my part. And really, I've had some discussion with people who are harpsichord players and, and talking about this a little bit. And I told them I was working on playing um, the, the music on um, the stick. And one of the things about the harpsichord is it's not a dynamic instrument, right? So you don't play with, you know, the harder you hit the key, it doesn't make any difference in terms of how the notes sound. Okay, it's, it's, it plucks the string. It's, it's a, a, a finite amount of volume, right? So the way harpsichord players get more volume is they play more notes. And so one of the functions of mordants is to add intensity and volume to the sound of the music. Okay. So that's something we don't really need to worry about with the stick because we have dynamic uh, input. We can play things a lot louder. Uh, also, you know, mordants is a huge subject. Like there's a whole vocabulary of mordants, you know, like uh, all those movements. They're, they're, it's enormous. And so uh, if I was to include that in the book, it would have added a lot of content to the book. And um, the other thing is that I'm, I'm looking at the pieces as instructive to the stick as an instrument. We want to learn how to play the instrument. And not so much focused on we want to learn how to play Bach, but we, learn how, we want to learn how to play the stick through mm -hmm. learning how to play Bach. And so the mordants don't really add that much to um, the technical vocabulary that we have. So the invention uh, number four, which is in the book, has these really long trills. You know, I remember talking to Gene about this. In each like, hand. Oh like my the, God. The, yeah. You're going to play, you're going to play, you know, yeah, yeah. you can sit there and do While that for you know, like, however long, you know. Yeah. Unbelievable. You know, it's like, I'm just <laughs> farting around, but, but you get the idea is, is like this constant thing going on. And so that's physically, that's a workout. And so that's in the book, you know, where the trills are very important to the, to the specific ar arrangement of the music. It's really in there, but I've seen all kinds of, of writings of this music that don't have mordants in them. I mean, are there mordants in the notebook to Anna Magdalena Bach? I'm asking the question because I don't know the answer. Are there uh, that one I don't know. I know in the cello suites you do have them, so. right? In the cello suites you do have them. Yeah, 
And, and there's there's so many different ways in in the Bach book that I had. It's which finger do you lead with? Uh-huh. Do you are you playing D C D C D C D C? Are you playing C D C D C D C D? Right. And, and, and so with the with the with the stick, and I remember talking to you about this a little bit. It's like the the you want to hit that first string first and then play that third string. So you do want to be going like F to G, right? Going like G to F is a little more challenging, Mm -hmm. but that's the way it's written. But it shouldn't matter because we're not trying to compensate for volume through more notes. It's just, we're trying to learn how to play the Chapman stick and it just so happens we're playing Bach. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's just a supposition on my part. And, and it, you know, it reflects on the fact that I'm not an academic, right? So I'm not studying this music because I want to get a master's degree in, in Bach on the stick. You know, that's, that's not my goal. My goal here is to, <laughs> is to learn how to play the instrument better. So that's For why sure. I want to learn these pieces. And I do, you know, sometimes when I'm playing the piece, you know, I'll add a little trill or, or something when I'm performing it just to give myself the feeling of doing that. But to put it into the arrangements, to me, felt like I was asking too much of the player at the moment. You know, so if you want to add those things in while you're playing it, you can do that. You know, if you have a finger available on the string and you want to do a little trill, you know, at a certain point, you can do that. Um, That's up to you. I didn't want to force that learning process onto people who are trying to learn how to play the pieces. To me, that felt like an extra challenge that I didn't want to put people through in order to be able to learn how to play it. And that's, that's also what Bach was trying to say, is he's saying like, you, this is the style that you can play in, but when you play it live, you might improvise it, you might play it differently. That's learning about playing in this style. Yeah. So Le- that's, that's just my feeling, you know, and, yeah. and I'm saying, you know, you know the music really well, Rod, so you know that it's missing. Like, so you hear something missing and you say, well, that's not there. I, I want to hear that in there. And so, yeah, maybe I should have made a different choice, but uh, I felt like it was an important choice to make uh, at the moment for that. It feels right. I mean, what do you think? Do you do you miss it? Is it really is it really a gaping hole in your hearing well, of the music? It's not for the Chapman it's, stick, and this is not, this is it. It yeah. depends. You, you know, it will, actually it will depend on what you're trying to. If I'm listening, like you, people don't know this, but you sent us a couple of recordings. So, so the, you sent us the minuet in G major and the uh, and the one in minor, right? Mm-hmm. And we heard it, and I know they were they're supposed to be there. It doesn't bug me that it did. They're not. Uh, sometimes it's I don't know. It's it's not an issue. So it's it's not but something that I would. Go they're ahead, in go there ahead. in the recording. Is actually there. Like in the G minor, there is a little little turn uh, that I added in at one point. You know, that's yeah, not in, know. in the written chart. I heard it. So I'm saying I want the player to feel free to be able to put those in themselves. I don't want to prescribe to them and say, you have to learn how to do exactly this at exactly this point. That's really where I'm coming from. With My question was, starts from this because too, ma- too much of it, it's kind of boring and it's, it's kind of a very, of, uh, it refers to a very specific taste in time. So we all know about this in, in, in Baroque music, but at the same time, you kind of like some of them. So it's, it's a matter of personal choice. Bottom line, when I hear it, when I heard your recordings, it's I just I was just hearing the music, so I, and I thought it was in one of them. You 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 actually do something you 
answer one note a little bit too early. You know, how do you say this? You, yeah, uh, it's anticipating the note. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. the word. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And it felt yeah. great. You know, it's like, yeah. wow, this is really cool. That's the liveliness that I'm trying to bring to the music. Exactly. Like, so it's, I, I'm, not, I'm not complaining about it. I was just asking because, well, if you didn't do it, and I, I know you at least as much that if you didn't use them, there must be a reason. So you don't. Yeah, it, it was a tough choice, really, because it, it could have been included, but it would have made the book a lot longer because I would have had to explain to people exactly how to do them, yeah. you know, because it's not obvious. All right. All right, Greg, you have any, uh, anything else that you'd like to talk about or like to say? Yeah. So, you know, this book started a long time ago. Uh, in fact, um, the, the, my friend Jean-Francois uh, Brissette, uh, people know him as JF. Uh, he is um, a friend of mine who lives in Las Vegas. And uh, I did a stick seminar out there in 1996 uh, or 97. I can't remember exactly. I think it was 97. And he was uh, one of the musical directors for uh, the Cirque du Soleil show, um, Mystère, I think was the show that he was the director for. And he's a great musician and a stick player. And uh, he gave me a copy of the uh, cello, complete cello suite preludes. And, uh, you know, I looked at that and I was like, okay, someday I'm going to learn how to play this music. And it's, it sat in, on my shelf and it, it kind of seeped into my head for a long time. And then when I finally started to sit down and learn it, I was like, wow, this is not easy you know, but it was re a really fun thing. And I'm very grateful to him for, for doing that. And, and it made me want to ask him to be the person to do the final copy editing on the book. Uh, and so that's what is, is going on right now. Uh, Gene in, in this process, you know, we had been talking about working on this. He sent me this, this Mel Bay, uh, guitar, uh, approach to a classical guitar version, uh, for the book. And I've drawn on a lot of different sources for the original notation um, for the book. Most of them have been simplified piano and um, uh, organ arrangements. Uh, things like Yezu, I had to come up with uh, from you know a variety of sources. Uh, the bourre was the same thing, uh, trying to put together you know some different things, uh, different sources to put it to get the actual notation because you know a lot of this music is written down in very different ways. I, I don't include like the typical slur that you have on a piano score because the stick doesn't work that way, right? It's a, it's a different kind of instrument. You know, we don't have a sustain pedal. We don't have the same understanding of connecting the notes. So when, when you see a slur in my notation, it means you're doing hammer-ons and pull-offs, mm -hmm. which are part of the vocabulary of the stick that is added to the music, right? Because there is no yeah. hammer-ons and pull-offs in the original version of the music because it was written for the keyboard. Yeah. So, so that's how the, the, the music has come to the stick. And I'm just trying to act as a conduit, you know, to help people find it the same way that I did. So Rod, awesome. I, I, I really appreciate all of you. Uh, you all have a great perspective on the music and every stick player who works on learning how to play this music brings their own uh, ideas and understanding to it. I'm just bringing one way of approaching it and hopefully it'll work for people. Uh, I really have enjoyed the process and I've learned so much about it. So the book will be available hopefully by October the 1st. Uh, I'm pretty sure it'll be available through Stick Enterprises and it'll be available through my website, greghoward.com. Uh, it will be available only as a hard copy book because it's going to be printed on 9 by 12 paper 
And you got to see it at that size in order to really be able to see the notation clearly. If it's smaller, you're going to miss some of the details in the staff tab, and it's just too hard to read. So I will not be doing a PDF version of the book. I know some people will moan and groan about that. Why aren't you doing that? And it's because, uh, first off, I want people to be able to see it at the size that it was designed for. And I want people to be able to turn off their devices when they're practicing this music. Put it on a music stand in front of you, read it, turn off your phone, turn off your computer, turn off everything except your amplifier, and even turn off your amplifier and play the music in the quiet of the night when it's just you and Bach hundreds of years ago, <laughs> imagining perhaps that his music would live on for centuries and centuries and be loved and adopted by instrumentalists of all kinds through all time. Greg Howard wow. said so perfectly. Well, Greg, we are very appreciative of you coming on and sharing with us and uh, giving us uh, some of your take on this. And, you know, we are really excited about what you've done here. Bach is near and dear to this group, and it is wonderful that there will be a stick book for us that is yeah for us that for is us something <laughs> written by one of our guys said, there's going to be a there's going to be a stick book and i realized well there is a stick book written by greg howard literally called the stick book <laughs> anyway greg thanks a lot for being here we really really appreciate it and uh, we're so glad to have had you on uh, for those of you out there that are listening, we appreciate your listening as well, and we wish you a good day and hope that sometime in the next 24 hours or so, you get a chance to pick up your instrument and play for a while. Maybe play some Bach for In a the while. dark of night, just you and Bach alone join music, <laughs> just the way Mr. Howard said. And with that, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Greg was kind enough to provide recordings of the Bach pieces we heard today. The first piece we heard is taken from the Prelude to the Cello Suite No. 1 in G Major. Then we got to hear two-part Invention No. 4, followed by Yesu, Joy of Man's Desiring. And now we're closing things out with the Minuet in G Minor. your comments. You can contact us by email at tapintimepodcast at gmail.com.